Mother Earth is psychedelic. Her body is covered with psychoactive, sacred medicine. Can psychedelics help us become more conscious and loving parents, partners, lovers, and leaders? Welcome to the Psychedelic Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Carlin, the Psychedelic Mom, a mother and entrepreneur partnering with Mother Earth's sacred plant medicines to heal, awaken, and learn to live in alignment to my truth. Psychedelic literally means soul revealing. What reveals the soul to oneself is psychedelic. I invite you to join me in deep conversations with leaders, healers, seekers, and other parents. I will share my journey, the wisdom, practices, medicines, and mistakes that have changed my life, and personal stories of others on this wild path. We are the medicine needed to birth the more beautiful world we know is possible. Welcome to this episode of the Psychedelic Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Carlin, and I want to welcome everyone who is listening. The Psychedelic Mom has gone global. We have listeners from Africa and India and all of Europe, every state in the United States, Mexico, Canada. Who knew that a topic on psychedelics, earth medicines, all that reveals our original nature and soul and truth healing and deeper stages of awakening would go global. So I'm glad that you're here. And I'm so happy that you're on this journey with me. And if you are, I can only imagine that like me, you're fascinated by awakening, the idea of your true nature and living from it, and being free from the aspects of life that create our push and pull and resistance. I wonder if you have asked some of the same questions that I have, like, who was I before I was even born? Where am I going when I die? Is there life and death? What is this reality? Today, we're going to be diving into the topic of awakening, liberation, and non-duality. I invited Nargis Alegria on, who is a mother of an eight-year-old daughter from Holland, who was seeking, seeking to rid herself of suffering, when suddenly she had a spontaneous awakening that led to her true liberation and living in a non-dual reality. Whoa, right? (laughs) Are you asking yourself, what is non-dual reality? Well, in its simplest form, non-duality means that the very you that you take yourself to be, a separate self living in a world of objects separate from you, moving through the world in time and space, that falls totally away. And you no longer are what is called self-identified. You viscerally and somatically and in your mind and heart feel yourself to be one with everything, not as a thought, but as the experience, not separate from anyone, anything, the boundless, the mystery, and that you move through life 
with the impulse of life. You live in the moment as it emerges. And the future is not interesting to you because life is in the moment. Pretty profound, huh? I wonder if you've had an awakening. There's many levels to awakening. We can have a personal awakening. When we suddenly wake up to aspects of ourselves that we didn't have access to before. There's energetic awakenings, like a kundalini awakening that happens in the body. There's a spiritual awakening where we suddenly awaken to the fact that maybe there's something beyond this mind-body construct. And then there's an awakening that is so beyond all of those, which is called liberation and non-duality, deeper self-realization. And that's what we're going to be talking about today and what that's like and what it's like to live from that place. There are other non-dual teachers out there. As a matter of fact, I did an episode with Dr. Angelo DeLula. It's episode 33. Definitely check that out. Angelo has definitely in the past year been somebody that I listen to on a daily basis. And I just came back from his week-long meditation retreat that he so generously did in his home that was quite shifting and mind-altering. And what I love about Angelo's work and the daily promptings that he gives us is he really brings you into the sensations in your body, sound, body sensations, the visual field. When he brings you into these fields and gives you promptings and inquiry, and suddenly you notice that some of the way that you see the world, things being separate, distance between you and another object, that their mind filters. And as you begin down this path, I remember Angelo saying things to me at first, and I'd be like, what is he even talking about? And then that starts to fall away. And so on this episode with Nargis, we talk about psychedelics and whether psychedelics are agents of awakening. And I asked this question to Angelo as well. What I find kind of fascinating about people that have reached true liberation and end stage, I guess, not that it ever ends, but liberation about psychedelics is Nargis speaks of having a profound experience with ayahuasca and that it really radically opened her up to different aspects of herself and something beyond this reality. And yet, paradoxically, she then goes on to talk about how psychedelics may not be an agent for awakening. My personal experience and talking to so many people is that psychedelics absolutely have the capacity to awaken us to a different reality and different aspects of ourself. Do I think that psychedelics are the magic awakening pill to a spontaneous awakening that isn't just an experience, but becomes a embodied way of being? Not necessarily, but all non-dual teachers, including Angelo and Nargis, including teachers like Eckhart Tolle, Adi Shanti, Tony Parsons, they'll all tell you that at some point in this awakening process, 
shadow work and going into deep repressed emotions is part of this journey. Tony Parsons, who is considered a neo non-dualist would tell you that it's all energy and that we are the unbound. And when we are mind identified, we are contracting into believing that we are separate. But ultimately, when that falls away, what we realize is it's just bound energy. He also believes that, and Angelo mentions this as well, that when you are around somebody who has freed themselves of being mind identified, that their bodies and energy fields are unbound. And just by listening to these messages, that maybe your conscious mind doesn't have an understanding of it, but on some level, the process of just listening is part of an unbinding process. So my hope for you is you listen to this episode and have a spontaneous awakening and that you feel yourself to be connected to your true nature. I believe it's our birthright. And what I love about these particular teachers is they work with you to unbind all the places where you are fixated and your mind is creating the illusion of a separate self. So welcome to this episode of the Psychedelic Mom podcast, and I hope you enjoy uh, Nargis's beautiful story of awakening. Welcome today to the Psychedelic Mom podcast. I'm here with Nargis Alegria, which I just learned means joy. And so we're going to have a joyful conversation about awakening. And Nargis is a non-dual teacher who had a profound awakening. And she's a mother, a dancer, a poet, and loves all things creative. So we're going to dive in today with Nargis about her initial awakening, the awakening process, what is true liberation, and get a sense of what her life is like. So welcome, Nargis. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. Excited to connect with you and exchange some uh, energy. <laughs> so for someone who doesn't know this term non-duality, how would you describe what non-dual is? Non-duality for me means that there is just what is, and it doesn't belong to anyone. And in that, there is a recognition that all there is is this, and it's complete, and nothing is missing. Within my experience of non-duality, there is an absence of experience. <laughs> it's hard to put into words. It can be understood by the mind, because the mind loves to divide and uh, create a, a sense of duality. So this is something that can be realized, and then one knows without knowing it. And so ultimately, the knowing of non-duality cannot be known from the mind, and it's experienced in the present moment, only in the present moment. Uh, nothing else is needed. And in that experience of the thusness, the isness that you experience in the moment, nothing is separate. Everything is one. I can't even say if 
there is just one or nothing is separate like that. It's so complete that even those terms <laughs> do not describe it. <laughs> but it's, it's, for the mind, it can be easy to feel into no separation, oneness, or try to understand that. But for something to be one, there is no two. That's why there is also no one. There's just what is happening right here, right now. This screen, this lovely face of yours, <laughs> the sound of your beautiful voice, my pink dress. <laughs> that is it. All else is very conceptual and very mystical, but it's actually very simple because it's just here. It's just here. What is seen here? It's not good. It's not bad. It's not sacred, it's not spiritual, it's not complicated, it's not mysterious. It's just open and it's vibrant and it's alive <laughs> and it's this. For you, what was, you were maybe on a seeking path, um, looking for awakening, seeking deeper self-realization. How did your path begin and what was your initial awakening that made you experience something completely different than your mind had ever experienced before? First of all, I didn't seek awakening. I sought happiness. And I tried to find that in a love relationship. So I was pretty young when I fell in love with my ex-husband and uh, we married and uh, also became a mom. But then I realized it didn't really fulfill me. And so my journey <laughs> went on and then I created my own business, a creative business where I sold stationery, had a wholesale that I was selling to stores and um, online through my web shop. And at some point I started to make good money and I thought that would make me happy, but Unfortunately, it didn't. Uh, I remember doing like shopping uh, spree and then coming back home and then not touching the bags for a few weeks. And it didn't happen often. It just happened a few times. And then I realized that money didn't make me happy. And um, some sort of a success is was not what I was really looking for. And then I went on to find my purpose. I thought maybe if I find my purpose, and not gonna be money driven. I'm gonna be happy. So then I went and started a new study, uh, integrative coaching and uh, psychotherapy. And I uh, became an integrative counselor. And at some point my coaching practice started to flourish. I had many clients and then I found myself still not happy. <laughs> In the meantime, I was aware of the book of uh, Power of Now and the New Earth of Eckhart Tolle. And I started to practice being present in the moment and being conscious. So my next goal to become happy was, okay, I need to be conscious. That's, that's the new goal. Then maybe then I will be happy. Huh? And I started to practice that. And, but I ended up with a lot of frustration actually, because every time I tried to be present, I realized I wasn't because I was constantly thinking, overthinking, and I had also um, anxiety. I was very much in my head and very, yeah, not in my body present. And uh, that caused a lot of tension in my muscles. And uh, I was basically just 
always rushing to the next thing. I remember going on holidays and I was really looking forward to be there and enjoy things. And then I just noticed that anytime, anywhere, I'm always busy with the next moment. I'm always busy controlling the next moment that it turns out better than what is. So if I'm at a museum, I'm already thinking what we're going to eat in the evening on holidays. And I realized that that was just <laughs> crazy, that that was the re my reality. And um, at that time I thought, well, enlightenment is for very spiritual people and I'm not that holy. <laughs> so maybe I should just try to become conscious, but I definitely... I'm not going to be enlightened because I'm not like Eckhart Tolle. I'm just a normal person and he is very special. <laughs> <laughs> By now, I know that was just a projection and that's like bullshit. He is just as a normal human being as I am. But at that time, I didn't have that awareness. At some point, I uh, had a Kundalini awakening. What caused it is actually a sexual orgasm <laughs> that I had on my own <laughs> in the morning and just completely surrendering to the pleasure of it. And then in the shower, my head exploded. And then after that, uh, my life really changed. Wait, 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 wait. We can't <laughs> throw that out. I mean, <laughs> I mean come on. That's um, the juice. <laughs> I mean, mine was looking at a tree. What? <laughs> Yo. Okay, so you're having this beautiful, sensual connective, erotic um, experience. And then you get in the shower. I don't know if it was that, that like that. <laughs> it was just an orgasm that I really, really enjoyed and allowed and without any judgment. And I was really surrendered to my pleasure of that orgasm. But it wasn't so spiritual, tantric or anything like that. It was just Enjoyable. <laughs> me doing me in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now you slowly make it to the shower and you're in the shower and you said your head exploded. Well, what does that look like and what do you mean? Yeah, that was very strange. I was just showering and then all of a sudden I felt like a burst of energy in my head. And then the thing that came up is like, I am consciousness. And then this smile on my face that just persisted for weeks that I just, I just couldn't stop smiling. Whenever I would be walking outside, I would just be like this crazy person who was like writing poetry, listening to music, swinging on the playground uh, in the evening when there were no children. And I was just like drunk on love, basically. I was cycling in the rain and all the water was like, on my face and I was just completely ravishing <laughs> the pleasure and uh, like the bliss of, of the moment. But at that time there, were, there was still a seeker and uh, it was like an initial awakening. It had nothing to do with self-realization whatsoever. Well, that's a great point right there that I want to get into. So you had this initial awakening and I'm sure, you know, you're, this is just, you know, for all the audience members out there, one way to get there is self-pleasure. <laughs> yes, there is self-pleasure that one does in order to get somewhere else, to become more feminine or become more sexual or become more sensual or this or that. And there is self-pleasure that just arises in the moment, just for nothing. It's just something that just arises like, oh, that's the thing that I want to be doing right now. 
And if there is like no any judgment on that it is wrong or um, weird or maybe not so spiritual or not religious or whatever, conditioned attachments we can have and judgments on sensuality and sexuality and expressing it and really enjoying it. If it happens in that way, it can really be an agent for profound, profound transformation. And of course, that was not only a orgasm. It had a buildup of me constantly trying to be present and me deep down in my heart looking for love, looking for truth, looking for happiness, lo looking for something deeper and more meaningful um, than what was on the surface, because that was also an agent of my seeking, is that I just never felt that I belonged. I always felt a bit weird compared to other people. Other people seemed to just enjoy the moment and and do things. And I seemed always to be just rushing to the next moment and just running through my life. I felt that I was never able to enjoy my life as normal, <laughs> quote unquote normal, what is normal, but normal people would, you know, yeah. I also had anxiety and I think that that was also a reason to look for something to get rid of the anxiety, of course, yeah. So then after your initial awakening, you had this grace period of bliss, riding in the rain, being on swings, a joy. How long did that last? A couple of weeks. And then I had started to have waves of uh, a lot of emotional instability. So a lot of emotional triggers came up. My um, surrounding changed, so certain people just vanished out of my life. My sister said she didn't want to have anything to do with me because I ended up uh, laughing very hard <laughs> and crying at the same time. And she thought that I was just crazy. <laughs> it, got, it was scary to her. And she was my best friend. We're good now, but at that time it was very, very, very painful. I felt very rejected because I, lo I felt like I lost my best friend and my sister at one time just out of nothing. And of course, that was not only the reason she had a lot of resentment towards the things that I said and did in the past towards her. Another thing that happened is like I, I met a guy and I fell in love with him just by talking to him. So without even being intimate or anything like that. But just we had one very, very beautiful date and I really fell in love with him. But then he said, I'm not ready for anything serious because I just broke up with my ex and I felt very rejected. So I had like a very deep, deep, deep dive into the wound of rejection. Like it completely broke me open because at that time I just couldn't repress and resist my sadness and my anger anymore. I just threw myself on my bed. And I would just cry very hard and allow it fully. So I had a lot of these emotional waves with highs and lows. So then there were like blissful moments. I would be dancing, listening to music, writing poetry. And then the next day I would be like super depressed. And uh, oh yeah, so that was new to me. That was new. Like I was never that unstable. So yeah, apparently the, um, the layer of resistance uh, became thinner. So it's like the energetic shift creates a momentum for life force energy, which makes the egoic shelf a bit thinner so then more emotions come through and more shit is being looked at so yeah because i think a lot of times people think oh you have an awakening and boom that's it and you're in bliss and samadhi forever 
and there are stages. Yeah, that, that the initial uh, awakening does not lead to samadhi. The initial awakening is just a person realizing it is consciousness, it is love, uh, which is still uh, a duality, but it's, it's a more expansive location you enter. So first you are like a body-mind, completely identified through thought, to personhood. So first you were a thought, and after a Kundalini awakening, but that starts to integrate, you will energetically experience yourself as consciousness. That what is aware of what is happening, who, who sees what is happening right now, or who and what is that? That is consciousness. So then there is what is happening. So the, the computer, the microphone, the human body, and there is an awareness of it. So there is two, right? There is what is happening and something that is witnessing it. So then um, there is more of an expansion compared to when there is just a person who is completely identified with thoughts and doesn't see itself from a different angle. It's like, it's just that. It's like a, a smaller room. It's like a very small room. And now it's like, ooh, a big house, you know, but it's still a house. It's still a house. And self-realization is the even the vanishment <laughs> when the perceiver and that which is perceived so what is happening and that what looks at what is happening is realized to be one and not separate so then there is just only what is and without the experiencer experiencing what is happening without the awareness being aware of itself <laughs> it's it's hard to put into words but it's an energetic shift and it might sound a bit more complicated than it is because the reality is I still function in a normal way. <laughs> I can look at myself, I can look in the mirror, I didn't lose any human functions. So after a Kundalini awakening, I would look in the mirror and then I would feel like I am behind my eyes. I'm looking, staring in the mirror. Uh, right now, I don't have that ex perception that there is someone behind the eyes. I don't know where I am. There's just the scene. There is just everything all at once here, right here, right now. And I don't know where I am. I'm everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I am just a normal human being, a, a woman <laughs> who is, uh, loves to dance and write and listen to music and go for walks and swim in the sea and uh, yeah make jokes so yeah so now for someone that says you know what awakening is only for the special few on the planet what would you say to that would you say that everybody it's everybody's birthright and everybody has the capacity to wake up in this lifetime only those who are here to experience themselves they are going to experience themselves as uh, what they came to experience themselves as. Some people are here just to find out that they're capable to work and have a family. And that's going to be the completeness of what they came here to experience. And then they're going to end up there. And some people already went through that in past lives and they came in this life to experience an awakening or a realization because they already done integrating other experiences. So I think um, 
it depends where someone is came for that's going to decide whether it happens or not so some people can do like so much things and it doesn't happen because that's not the experience that they came here for and some people they do nothing they don't know anything about spirituality or meditation or awakening and then boom it happens i have a friend who was just watching tv and then boom the thing opened up and uh, yeah so to draw more clarity about kundalini awakening it's it took around one year after the kundalini awakening that the experience of separation completely fell away so in that year there was ups and downs of emotions and there was a dark night there was like uh, lots of stuff <laughs> that was not easy uh, like a phase of depression and a phase of dread and anxiety and like severe severe anxiety for a few months was experienced and then at some point uh, yeah it was done <laughs> the search for enlightenment was done but life went on the same way that it went on but just without someone who thinks it's doing it so for someone who said would ask you is there such thing as free will how would you answer that from a place of non-duality and no self-identification? There's no free will for um, the person because the person doesn't exist <laughs> as a chooser or doer. There's just what is happening and what is happening is based on conditioning and the information and that the subconscious mind has and does not have. That's where choices are being made. There is a soul path that is like already clear and happening right here, right now. For instance, I already died and became a grandma and it all happens in the now and it's already a done deal. So from the perspective of the human being, there's absolutely no, no free will at all whatsoever. But uh, from the perspective of the one creator, there is only free will. So they're bo both correct. There is no free will and there is only free will because what is happening is a complete freedom from the perspective of the creator. So I, as the creator, I'm creating every second of the day. But I, as a person, as a thought, or whatever, <laughs> however someone identifies himself, I have absolutely no power or control or whatsoever. So, yeah. Is there a co-conspiring with, and co implies that there's two? So the person who is not a person, <laughs> is there the ability for the Michaela in form to conspire with the aspect of myself, even though there's no difference? Like I'm making separation in the language, but is there the ability, because people talk about co-creation and manifestation, and is there a relational aspect between the form and the non-form in co-conspiring life at all? Like prayer, does prayer work? Does intention work? Some people believe in that. I believe in the, f I don't believe that's what I think, is that prayer happens, speaking happens, words create, but it is already created before you speak it. So uh, you are not deciding to pray. Praying is happening when it is happening. You're not deciding to manifest. Like a law of attraction course happens. <laughs> and you think it, something manifested because you went to the manifestation course. It may seem like that, but you can only manifest what already happened. 
So everything already happened. And so the mind kind of puts on a layer in almost thinking, like, let's say I get up right now and I go get a glass of water. That's what's happening. But the mind might think, I thought that I would get up and go walk and get a glass of water. But in some ways, it's an afterthought. Yes, I think it's correct what you're saying. But yeah, so I, I don't believe that I can manifest anything else than what is uh, happening. So I want what is. And of course, sometimes I also think like, oh, wouldn't it be, be beautiful to have a garden so I can feel the grass under my feet? And then things like that arise that I'm with my feet in, in, in the grass. So there is a definitely a connection to thoughts materializing, absolutely. And the fastness of the materialization depends on what state someone is perceiving reality. So instant manifestation is an ever-present reality. And sometimes it seems like there is a lot of time, but actually it's not. And everyone sees it differently. I can only share it from my uh, space. For me, manifestation is not important and not interesting, as in like the law of attraction and all these things, is because I had a time prior to the awakening that I manifested all things in my vision board. Like I mentioned to you, like I, I, what the things that I wanted, they all came through, but it didn't make me happy. I, I wasn't fulfilled. I was still seeking for something more, something deeper, something more real, something, something that I can really say, like, yes, this is it. I love this. And manifestation, law of attraction didn't bring me there. And I, what I can see sometimes, of course, I'm also on Instagram and, and I see sometimes some people coming by. They're saying that you can manifest anything and they're encouraging people to buy uh, expensive courses and invest in themselves and things like that, which nothing wrong with that. But just like those people are still uh, chasing something, although they say they are experiencing abundance. But when you're truly experiencing abundance, <laughs> you don't want to manifest anything. Truly, that's really honest. You just live in the present moment. Yeah, because in the present moment, uh, nothing is missing. <laughs> Thinking about the future is so boring. If, if the aliveness of the present moment is just experienced and felt. and <laughs> So in the present moment, because this reality that we're in, this 3D form reality, in some ways is a bit of an illusion because there isn't time and space and a person in some ways moving through time and space. Do you have the experience that you also see that this time distance, do you have those experiences where the 3D reality breaks down and it's all kind of a different field, a field of light, energy, liquid moving, not quite as solid as our minds think? Yes and no. I'm not super interested in that part because I just love my life and like the things and hobbies that I have. So I love the, the material life. Uh, but maybe there will come a time where I'm going to direct my energy more into into perceiving uh, other um, dimensions. But right now, that's not a priority. I love to be here. For someone who is interested in liberation, in feeling called to deeper stages of self-understanding and consciousness, what would you tell them? Nothing. Because I, when I look at people, I don't see anything missing with them. They think something is missing. 
So then an interaction arises where they ask me questions and then I there is an, a spontaneous response which is always different attuned to the person who is in front of me. But I don't have a message for the people. I don't I don't have a, an idea that people should wake up or that people should change or be different than they are. Like in front of me there is always a miraculously gorgeous human being uh, energy-wise. <laughs> so for me the, nothing is lacking. And I don't see other people as a work in progress that needs to arrive somewhere else than when we where we are. But it's usually the, the people that think they need guidance. I don't really think that I give guidance. I just share what I think and it inspires people. I don't like to guide people because guiding others does not feel truthful to me because I would rather inspire people with the things that I share to find the guidance within, within themselves, to reconnect within themselves. And if I can be a catalyst for that, when that, those moments arise and I get that reflection, I feel quite joyful. So I enjoy that, but it doesn't feel like, oh, I need to fix people because they're so lost and uh, not awake and I'm the awake one. So let me just guide everyone to love and light. No, it's not that. It's like, they are already complete and I see that and they just are not aware of it. And if they want to talk about it, they're welcome. But I'm not a coach who's going to coach people into enlightenment because <laughs> enlightenment is a dream. <laughs> right. And thinking you're not is an illusion. Yes, indeed. And the moment you lose the illusion, you cannot see it in other people. So the people are seeing themselves as like a separate someone or like an ego or whatever that is not awake but i don't see that i can only see how i see myself and that's not separate so i don't see the separation in the other as well but th but they say they that they experience that so for them it feels true but for me it's not so how would you have a relationship are there preferences if you see another human being as perfect as they are, as the sacred, as this conscious being. Are there still preferences for Nargis? Preferences as in clients uh, what I, that I work with or friends? No, attraction if you were going to date somebody. Or is it energetic? Some people just feel interesting to me. Like there is like an inner... There can be like an inner drive to talk to someone and then I just follow that drive. So like an, an inner impulse, like, oh, I want to talk to this person and then more can arise. I remember when I was younger, I had, I made a list, like this is the man that I want to be with. He has to have this, this, and this, and this, because that I feel is really attractive. He has to have black hair and this, like they, all these things. But right now, I don't really, I don't have that at all. Honestly, I, I do know that there are specific appearances that this body mind feels more attracted to, but it's, it's not a requirement. That's what I've seen from my behavior in the last uh, two years is that all the preferences actually fell away. And then there was just what was happening and the connection that was arising was what was happening with that person. And there was an underlying reason for it because we were mirroring to each other things that we didn't see within ourselves. So there was a deep learning process and a deep healing and corrective experiences that have happened through the connection that I've shared with a man who um, also had a, a recent shift. 
So we helped each other in that and we spend a lot of uh, joyful moments together. We teach together. Uh, we do an in-person retreat. But uh, now we are uh, friends, so we're not uh, romantically involved. Yeah, so one of the things it seems like is you follow the impulse, that impulse that is within, that is the impulse to even the attraction or to talk to somebody. Is there a lot of shadow work that has to get done in some ways from the initial awakening to that place of feeling free enough, unburdened enough to actually follow impulse? Because I think like so many of us in growing up in our cultures, we're taught to suppress certain impulses, whether, gosh, there's so many ways, right? So how would you say that shadow work plays into deeper stages of self-realization? Is it necessary? Of course, absolutely. Shadow work is uh, for me uh, something that I'm doing almost every minute. (laughs) 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 I'm not kidding and I'm not exaggerating. I know, and it kind of is starting (laughs) to feel like that. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it doesn't feel like work anymore. It's just kind of feels like a puzzle. Yeah, it it doesn't it doesn't feel like work. It's just the light bulb is on and whenever there is something that doesn't feel free, it's like immediately seen uh for at least to the degree that I can see at this moment because it's ever evolving. Like I cannot tell like oh, I'm there. That is seen through, so that's done. So the searching habit is done, but there is still a, like a lot of letting go of old beliefs and conditionings from the body mind. So First, there is like a realization of presence. Doesn't mean one embodies presence all the time. Like I I could easily fall out of the moment after liberation and catch my spiritual ego and enlightened ego. Although there is this uh, myth that you lose your ego and you don't have any self self thoughts, which is all bullshit. (laughs) They're still there, it's just no identification, but they're still there and they can still be believed in if you're not sharp enough until you start to feel contraction in the body and the suffering will tell you that, oh, something to look at. But because there is an absence of a layer of personal resistance uh, in the nervous system, it's easier. It's way easier. Like it's just like, it happens fast. Yeah, and it's also ever fresh moment, even after integrating some deep hurt. Like I can cry very hard as a baby and then one minute later I'm dancing. Like literally like a child. Yeah, there is a shadow work that is being done, definitely. Last last time I wanted to talk to someone and all these conditionings came up like, well, he doesn't make eye contact with you, so he doesn't want to talk to you, so don't walk up to him. Like, why are you bothering him? Like, uh, But there was this inner drive like that said, you have to talk to this person. And the longer that I would like not listen to that urge, the the more contraction I started to feel in my body. So then, yeah, of course, there is fear of fear of rejection that is conditioned within me. But somehow I'm I'm it's easier for me not to listen to that fear. So then I still walked up to him and uh, said what I (laughs) needed to say. (laughs) And we talked. So uh, and then that was like an interesting unfolding for something that I uh, have seen because attraction. What is attraction actually? It's a little child in us that gets attracted to another body or feels attraction or repulsed, which is basically the same. Repulsed, being repulsed by someone and being attracted to someone is the same thing. It's like one stick with two ends. 
uh, once someone uh, completely lets go of uh, the need to be special and to be seen as, as the child within still longs for, uh, the attraction can even stop or be or diminish greatly. That's what I've seen, especially sexual attraction. Doesn't mean that one cannot enjoy beautiful lovemaking and ecstaticness and bliss in the sharing and exchanging of energy with the op- opposite polarity, but it just means that uh, like the, the the neediness, the horniness, the mm-hmm. just the I need you to complete me and make me happy. Like come here, like without you, I cannot be happy or can't survive. <laughs> without you, I don't feel love. That is fades away seen through it's fades away slowly basically the way we view love in an unawakened place would be the child's needs always being i want to be seen i want to be loved i want to be held i want to i want to feel important that is it that the majority of our relationships in the planet are not based on love they are based on agreements to keep each other safe from feeling pain of rejection and not feeling safe to be. And it stems from the, 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 the thing that we fear the most, which is unconditional love. That's something we fear the most. Yeah, a lot of relationships are based on agreements. Like you, you approve of me and I approve of you and you give me what I want and I will give you what you want. And when you feel hurt, I will give you a blanket so you can feel less hurt and when i feel hurt you should give me that blanket and when once you stop doing what i want or what is convenient to me i withdraw my love from you and i can also even cut you off that's how sometimes it happens that people spend 10 years together like 10 years a bond of 10 years and then someone does something and then it's like i cut you off and i never want to see you and never want to talk to you and that gets like thrown out completely uh which to me is not love at all like that is a recognition so it's like transactional yeah it's a, it's a transaction so how would you describe unconditional love realizing the oneness with all that is and how do i experience that with the other um Unconditional love is loving what is, even if what is hurts and includes pain and crying and being hurt and being rejected. So can you love yourself unconditionally, so much so that the present moment is what you want because you know there is nothing else than you. Everything happens within you. So even if I get rejected by another, it happens within me. It's my world in which that happens. There is no other that is doing that. It's just a mirror, another version of me. And of course, if it's a male body, it hurts more. <laughs> but unconditional love is not um, you just uh, spit on me and I say, uh, oh, d- never mind. You couldn't help doing that. You were angry, you know. I'm just going to like show compassion and accept you because it's all love and light. No. Unconditional love is like you spit on me and I hit you in the face. That's also unconditional love. That's just because that's like a spontaneous reaction that may, may, may occur. I don't know. But it's a possibility um, that if someone uh, hurts me uh, physically, that I hurt them back to protect myself. But maybe I won't do that. Maybe I run away or maybe I just 
stare at them and they just die. <laughs> Don't underestimate the angry goddess. <laughs> the eyes. Yeah. How would you say your life has changed? Do you call it self-realization? What do you call it? Awakening? What is the word that you use? Yeah, I would say liberation and self-realization are the two words that I use. So prior to liberation, did you have an idea of what God was, what liberation was going to be, and a moral code? And if so, how does that compare to true liberation that you've experienced? Yeah, I've had even a phase when I was younger, a few years that I was religious. So I literally thought there was like a God that was like punishing me and rewarding me for good deeds and prayers and things like that and fasts. So uh, that was that. But then I read the book of Eckhart Tolle and it changed. So how do I experience God now? There is nothing else than God to me. Even the devils that live inside of us. <laughs> no, I just mean the, like the shadow aspects, yeah? That's uh, the shadow reality. That's God too. There's nothing outside of God. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the, the, for me, there is nothing else but God. And so every impulse is God. Yes. So what would you say to somebody that says there's evil in the world? That's because we are still uh, realizing that we are gods. So some people are here to experience themselves as a victim that is completely not aware of the fact that they are a true God. So they experience themselves as a separate entity, a human being who needs help, who is uh, a victim. And those people are experiencing um, a reality that affirms their beliefs. So someone who experienced that they're poor and that money is hard and that the world is very unsafe and unkind and, and they, they might have that experience. Yeah, and there, there's also people that, that are born in wars, but then they have like this shift where they realize they're not a victim and then their life completely changes and they go to a different place in the world and start doing completely different things. So it's a mirror of, of our beliefs and some people are here to experience that and there's nothing wrong with that. And in my past lives, I've also experienced things that one could call like very uh, evil and very uh, injustice. Uh, experienced a lot of injustice and maybe that's why I'm uh, a little bit more wiser than I was <laughs> in my past life. <laughs> Do you think our thoughts create our reality or would you say more that this life force that is God creates the reality and we are in a form to live out that impulse and that even our thoughts arise from that which is God? I think we are creators and we are God. And yes, thoughts create reality, but thought cannot be chosen. Like I cannot predict that I will have a thought in one hour and one minute and it's going to be that. Like it just arises spontaneously. I cannot like schedule that. And I can make an appointment with you, but I still don't know if it's going to come through because maybe, uh, I don't know, <laughs> I, uh, I will be... The day of you don't feel like it. <laughs> yeah, or something else happens that is uh, has more priority. So how would you say you're a creator? Because I'm manifesting the formless into form. So the formless already is, 
and this vehicle brings it out. So this vehicle is being used in order for it to become form. So I use my body to create. My reality is a projection of my body. So even the things that I put in my body. So my world changes. For instance, if I start using, uh, I don't know, if I eat cooked food, the reality that I get to perceive will be different than when I eat one banana. So my body, including what is coming in into it, that vibration, that frequency, that information that is projected into the reality that is the creation. Yeah. So let's talk about the body because it's a big part of probably when you are working with somebody, you're kind of tracking what's arising, you're tracking in some ways what's stored in the body, aren't you? For someone in this process who's in their head, why is it so important to come back into the body and use the body as a mechanism to understand how this body is creating our reality and the repressed emotions that are in it? Through somatic inquiry, uh, that has been very helpful for me to get the unconscious conditioning to the conscious. Because there's two things. There are emotions that are suppressed, that arise, and there are emotions that don't even arise because they're so deeply suppressed. But what arises is an addiction or uh, just an uncomfortable feeling or just rushing energy or compulsions or uh, a lot of overthinking, fears, etc. That's because like there is a deeply unconscious layer that is there's drivers and there can be a repression of deep-seated anger, shame, guilt, which are, is also anger just turned inward and sadness in the body, which causes contraction, definitely, yeah. And it makes the one not experience the aliveness of the present moment is due to the repression of emotion. So when you feel something like that, could you share with us how, if you felt that contraction, what's your personal tool that you use to go in and kind of see what's there? Uh, when I feel a contraction, it's usually I feel it uh, in my belly, uh, a slight contraction and I feel that somehow this like this the aliveness of the present moment becomes a bit more tighter and less alive and I feel that my energy goes a little bit down and the the reality of creation kind of becomes more less tangible so to say and then I start to feel like as if I'm like in a reality of survival because I'm triggered it can be very subtle but nowadays I'm very trained to like uh, perceive it. So whenever I'm triggered, I'm like, it takes a few seconds and I'm already aware of it. Back in the years, it was like me just next day realizing, oh, I was triggered yesterday when this or that happened, when this or that has said, and that's why I said something ugly to someone. But right now it's like a, a matter of, of one or two seconds. I, I already noticed like, oh, something is going on. But I, and I don't always know immediately what's going on, but more and more I, I start to see what it is. It's, yeah, it's a, like a belief, a limiting belief that is connected to a repressed emotion that is remembering me from something from the past that is creating this Velcro effect in my body that gets a contraction. So the first thing that I do is I immediately add the contraction. So the, the movement of the body is distraction, rushing going on the phone, like something, something outward. But I trained myself, uh, now it's more automatic, to stay here. Even if the body goes to the phone and scrolls to Instagram, 
I'm, I still feel myself in the body. And hey, sometimes the trigger is so uh, unconscious that I am on my phone and I realize that I, I cannot feel that I'm just want to be distracted, that the body is like not allowing it. And that's cool too. Then I do that for a few minutes and then I'm like, Nargis, <laughs> come on. Come on back. Stop hiding. Uh-huh. Stop running away. Let's see what's there. I can do a constellation for the feeling. Like I take three objects and I place it there. And that can really bring it up like immediately. Uh, but usually it's not that deep. It's it's like a contraction. I feel it and I look at what triggered it. And then I see the, the belief behind it. Like something that happened is not allowed to happen. For instance, like someone throws away, uh, someone buys food and throws it away immediately. And then there can be like this, like, oh no, don't throw away food or something like that. And then there's a contraction. And then you see it like, oh, why is this person not allowed to throw that food away? Like who says that you're not allowed to throw away food? It's like, it's a belief. And then what's the benefit of believing in that? Because then I don't have to feel an emotion like sadness or anger, which I have been feeling when I was a kid, when for the first time, when, for instance, I threw away food, someone said to me, what are you doing? And I became angry, but I couldn't feel that anger because it was repressed. As a child, we sometimes we just block certain emotions because it's too overwhelming or too we're too ashamed to feel it. We don't have the capacity to feel it. And then it, it's that energy is trapped in time. So it's like in the body. And then you see someone throwing away food. If that's like a, a trigger for you, then it triggers that old thing that happened in your childhood. Because if that thing in the childhood doesn't happen, then the, someone throwing away food doesn't trigger you. It just doesn't do anything to you. It's like, yeah, it's throwing away food doesn't make you feel less alive in the present moment um so then i go and yeah so i look at the belief that is believed in and uh, i feel the contraction in the body and then the energy starts to flow again and that's has been enough for me sometimes i also do more self-inquiry with some tools that i have that i learned from scott killaby he um has a set of tools where we really like mine things out that are like deeper so when sometimes it's like uh, you can experience like an addictive tendency. So like you don't even have a trigger. Nothing happens. You're just sitting on your couch and all of a sudden you just want to eat chips. And then you're like, I don't know what is going on. Why am I triggered? Nothing happened. I'm just on my couch. And that that's due to a trigger that is very hidden, deeply hidden, very deeply repressed in the body. And how to pull that out is to find out what's your main repressed emotion and start asking your subconscious mind questions by stating the opposite for instance when you want to take that bag of chips you're going to affirm i'm not angry i'm not angry i'm not angry or you you say i'm not sad i'm not sad i'm not sad depending on what your main default repressed emotion is the stronger emotions or the vulnerable ones usually when you state that if it's not true to the body so if you there is repressed anger and you're going to say i'm not angry i'm not angry i'm not angry you feel like something in you starts to say no i am angry and that's what you want and that's how you use that as a doorway to go into it. And then you start affirming, I am angry, I am angry. And then usually the contraction, that stronger energy starts to arise and goes to the chest or to, even to the throat area and then until it leaves the body. So sometimes I do that too when it's really very strange what I feel then uh, that I'm like, I, I just don't know what is going on. I just feel that I don't feel super alive. So that must mean that I'm triggered because if I'm not triggered, 
I mean, having a blissful experience by just being. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's really a beautiful way to describe how to go into the deeper emotions and get to the suppressed impulses, even for like sitting eating chips. Yeah, because in the, pre the aliveness of the present moment, there's no addictive tendencies. Like, yeah, I can eat three pieces of chips, but if I'm not triggered, I cannot eat the whole bag. Like it's it's boring. It's like it doesn't give you anything. So the body is not going to do that. But when I'm triggered, that could happen. But now I learned to work with myself. I don't go to eating a bag of chips anymore. And is that true about healthy or unhealthy foods as well? Like you're just more drawn to the foods that are alive. Yeah, I mainly only eat fruit. I sometimes eat cooked food when I'm with people and it's like it's on the table and it smells nice and my body's like, oh, interesting, let me taste that. But yeah, I, I eat a couple of pieces of fruit and that's actually it. It's so interesting because I think like a mind could think, oh my gosh, if I followed my impulses, I would do so many things that might not be right, okay. That's when people don't trust themselves. Then that, that happens also. That, that affirm, the belief gets affirmed. So if someone tells themselves, if I'm going to listen to my uh, intuition, I'm going to binge and become fat, then that's going to happen. Because you believe that. You say that about yourself. So when you stop mistrusting yourself, you'll see that it also doesn't happen. Like I follow my impulses and today it was one mango. <laughs> And, and a few coconut water drinks. And I feel fine. I have tons of energy. I uh, run, I dance 10,000 times a day. <laughs> I write poetry. I, I ran today at, gym, at like a, my, the party of my daughter. We celebrated it at, uh, with the children at the trampoline park. I jumped with them. Although the, the grown-ups were looking at me a bit strange. Like, what is this mother like jumping with the kids? Shouldn't she just sit at the table and stare? and drink coffee. No, we should all be swinging. Exactly, yeah. I just was like, wow, it's a great opportunity to let my inner child out. Well, not even that. It just what was arising. The body wanted to jump, and I was excited about it. Yeah, the, the less uh, we consume, the more energy we have. So the fact that it's interesting that you started about food. I uh, also, by following my inner intuition and impulses, I realized that I actually don't need much food. And that food makes me tired. Have you found that due to your shift in energy that people around you have also had awakenings? Like you mentioned your friend who was watching TV, but have you had anybody else in your family go through an awakening like this? No, not in my family. But there are people around me that have either had a spiritual awakening or had a the end of uh, the search for enlightenment. Also, like if you said, take like the um, Heart Sutra, would you say that's the closest to what you experience in some ways? I would say kissing with your lover is more it than this whole sutra. <laughs> ah, I like that. I like that. Yes, that makes sense. <laughs> Why is it so complicated? It's way more simple right? than that. Yeah. <laughs> Standing in the rain, riding your bike, kissing your lover. Exactly. Yeah. Did awakening teach you anything about motherhood? Yeah. That the more I try to be a good mother, 
<laughs> the more I suffer and the more my child suffers. So I let go of that uh, to the degree that I could and that I can. It's ever evolving, of course. But yeah, I'm just myself. I'm just uh, a mad mother <laughs> who likes to dwell in the gardens of the paradise. And my mo my daughter loves to ride the waves of, of energy in, uh, with me. So she's a great companion. I love having her walking next to me. And that's it. There is no motherhood. The reality is that I, I am not a mother. She is just here when she is. And when she's with her dad, then she's not there. And I also don't miss her, which for a long time I found very confusing because I thought, is there something wrong with me that I don't miss her if she's not with me? And other mothers, they miss their children. Do they love their children more than I do? But then I realized, no, I just don't experience her separate from me. So therefore I cannot miss her. Yeah, I just recently wrote a post about it on Instagram. Like parents are like, oh, you can be yourself. Uh, you can become whatever you want. I just want you to be happy. It's already a condition. Like, I want you to be happy. That's already conditional love. Because parents, let's be honest, most parents have a very hard time when they see their child not being happy because it triggers the unhappiness within themselves and they don't like that. So out of selfish reasons, they uh, start nagging at the, at the child, like change your life, do this, become that, like start a study. Because somehow it's also a reflection like, oh, if my child's not happy, it's a reflection of me. So I need them to be happy and show up like this in the world so I look good. Exactly. Yes, yes. And it's like if my children are achieved, then that must mean that I did a good job. And I like to think that I did a good job. So that's that's what makes it a lot of, yeah, very transactional. And it's the, the, the need for your child to be happiness is, is your own need. Why isn't the child allowed to just be? And sometimes it's going to be happy and sometimes it's going to be suffering because it has its own path here and it's going to learn things through suffering. Suffering is the best, uh, greatest agent in, in awakening to our true nature. We need suffering. Like we cannot live without suffering. Like suffering is the most important thing in life. And I love suffering because it makes my, it clears my eyes so I can see clearly. Um, without suffering, I wouldn't even have saw, started seeking. So I'm very grateful for the suffering that I rose. And I want to grant my daughter her suffering too. I want to be able to, to grant her her suffering because it's sacred. It's the greatest gift from life is the suffering because it opens your heart. It breaks you open. So I honor her suffering. So when I see she's sad and she's angry, it's magical for me. And um, I'm just there for her. I don't try to fix her. And if I do, then I know I'm triggered. So I need to look into myself. So it's not that I'm like all so perfect and embodied. Uh, the wisdom that I share here is, is a great perspective. But is everything already embodied? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think so. But it's an ongoing process that is happening. So yeah, sometimes I make a slip and then I tell her like, oh... Just get over it. Let's let's play. And then I'm like, Woo, who says that? She did just get over it. And then I'm like, Woo, interesting. What made me say that? What was uh what was the trigger? So I still catch those things because the body mind functions on conditioning. So we have to clear that out in order to truly have a very free experience in the body mind as well, not only as awareness. Well, how can people reach you? And do you have any retreats coming up if somebody's interested? People can find me through my YouTube channel, Nargis Alegria. 
They can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. It's nargis.alegria. Uh, I have a website. It's unconditionalhyperfreedom.com. Um, the link to the in-person retreat is in my latest YouTube videos. And the next uh, in-person meeting will be in November in the south of Spain. It's going to be about embodiment of trauma and the realization of freedom, the combination of non-duality and embodied integration of uh, repressed emotion. So everyone who really, truly resonates and feels a yes inside themselves is very welcome to come and join me. I'm doing it together with with a dear, dear friend of mine, um, Ralph Marzen. He's uh, quite more older and experienced than I am working with people and doing retreats. So we collided our, uh, our, our talents and energy together and, and created a space where true, profound transformation and, and, and true healing, integrated healing can happen. And uh, it was a joy to, to do that the last time we did that in Greece. And yeah, I'm excited about uh, it in Spain. Amazing. I never even asked you, have you ever used an earth medicine or a psychedelic? Yes, I did. I've been to ayahuasca retreats back in the days. I did truffles like mushroom. Did they instigate any awakening process for you, do you think? The first experience with um, truffles was very expensive. It's really showed me that reality is not solid. <laughs> and <laughs> reality is something very different than I thought it was. And on my first ayahuasca retreat, I think I did two or three ceremonies, like a weekend long ceremonies. Uh, the first time uh, there was a leaf that was lying in the grass and there was a leaf falling from the tree. And then I saw that everything is perfect the way it is. So that was my first encounter with the perfection of the isness of what is. And it happened on a ayahuasca ceremony. Uh, yeah, it was very expensive, definitely. But I don't know if it, it really aid contributed to my self-realization. Of course, everything in life led to it. <laughs> everything that I did. Also, uh, no, no, drinking milk as a baby from my mom's uh, breast uh, led also to the self-realization that um, is. <laughs> but lately, in the last years, I was not really interested in psychedelics because psychedelics can... Yeah, it can be an agent for, for healing for some people because in the moment that they use it to truly, honestly open up and dive deeper into themselves, it can be an, an agent of transformation. It's like a tool that assists you to get to the bottom of the thing that you need to get to the bottom of. But uh, major, yeah, a lot of the people in the psychedelic community are using psychedelics to escape the now and to escape themselves and to not be fully, uh, deeply open to what is, but rather to create a, a, a better state that they're experiencing right now. So then it comes from the rejection of what is. It's like, oh, I don't feel really happy today. Let me microdose, you know, um, without even looking at like, why don't I really feel alive? Because the present moment, the aliveness of the present moment, it doesn't matter if I didn't have food for three days, uh, I can feel super alive and super present. It's like, I don't, that's not dependent on a psychedelic or a microdose, but people can really trap themselves in thinking that they need microdosing every time. And that it starts off by thinking that, oh, it's just going to be something that going to make me open. And then at some point people realize, oh, I cannot be open without it. And then it becomes daily and people 
feel like my life or my, my experience is not complete without that substance. It's very tricky. It's the same thing as drugs. We can get really, really trapped in that. And then people use this, the spiritual ego can use like an excuse with no, it's like making more spiritual, more open. Is that really so? Is that really so? So I'm not against psychedelics when they arise genuine from the present moment, not as an escape from the present moment. Uh, but I'm also not encouraging any psychedelics to people who uh, who want freedom or healing. Uh, for e quite on the contrary, the people who are using psychedelics every week or every day, I think the gift of their healing is actually uh, for them by just not doing anything and see what happens if they don't use it all. Because that's where they're going to meet that which they want to avoid. But when uh, someone is not ready to face that, they will just not believe what I'm saying, but it's really true. Uh, that's what I agree. Like a few times is already enough to have the benefit of it. And um, it becomes dangerous when people get hooked and dependent on an experience. Like the moment of a substance, even food or psychedelic enters your, your bloodstream, it starts to break down. It's an experience. It's a temporary experience. The trap is, is to try to seek for yourself in something that is temporary while your true nature is that of the eternal instead of going back to the present moment and seeing like why do i even want to use this substance over and over again what is it that is not complete within me that i don't feel completely uh, alive in the present moment why can't i fully be here now without a psychedelic why do i need it because there's always like a repression of some part of yourself that is not enabling you to radiate in, in blissfulness of just being alive. Yeah, so I think it's psychedelic. Like, I also don't know any sage or any person who is deeply awake and who is really expressing their purpose and their gift into this world and causing a transformational shift that is using often psychedelics. I don't know that that person the people that i know who use psychedelics every day those are usually people that hold themselves back and are not really truly gifting their purpose it's a trap also to think that you are not creative uh, that you need a substance to become creative i think you are creativity you you are the god that paints every second and and, and creates so there is only creativity actually and the, what is more interesting is not like, how can I become more creative? What substance am I going to use for that? It's like, what prevents me from realizing my that all is creation? What repressed emotion? What repressed, what belief? Why am I still holding myself back? Because that's the lack of creativity is you holding yourself back. Some kind of belief that you need to be humble or only, I don't know, uh, wait for an invitation from other people, not initiate yourself or like not express, like not express God in form. It's a crime, actually, <laughs> not expressing yourself fully. It's a crime. And you can't fix that with taking a psychedelic. I don't know any successful artists that I really admire that creates art from a very deep, deep present place. Who's using psychedelics for that? Those people don't need psychedelics. So if there are people that are so super intensely passionate and creative without psychedelics, why can't you be that? You can be that person too, because if one person can pull that off, then you can pull that off too. Just find out what's the reason. And this is also where my one-on-one Zoom meetings and group meetings are handy, is where you have a, like a struggle with something like that. 
come and ask your question. Like something, it can be something that you cannot see. And maybe I happen to see that because I see you from a different perspective. I see you from your fullness. That's something that I can be an agent in, like in my one-on-one sessions, uh, counseling sessions. Well, it's not actually counseling. It's just a conversation and a genuine heart-to-heart exchange and interaction. And in the present moment, it can happen that people come with questions and I don't answer the question. I just tell them what they need to hear. Not not me, but it's it's something that comes out of my mouth. And it's wonderful. It's beautiful. And I enjoy it greatly. And I encourage people to walk that route where they expose themselves uh, on a more profound level instead of just drugging themselves with all kinds of substances. Although I don't consider plant medicine like ayahuasca as drugs, but the depends on what intention you use it for to escape what is, escape the lack of creativity, uh, and like manipulate yourself into a more creative state, which will always have to pay a price afterwards, always. Any substance that enters your body, you're paying the price. Anything, even an apple, you're paying the price. Because there's a lot of energy that has to be used to break that down. Uh, that's why I have way more energy now I minimize my consumption because it doesn't have to be broken down. And the cells, they get everything they need from everything because all is energy. Yeah, so in my group meetings for the people who have like a smaller budget and don't mind asking questions and interacting in more of a group meeting, there's also a very more of a stronger field and interaction. And when we come together for truth, not for my truth, but for the truth in you. And sometimes I can mirror that. And do you do that once a month? Uh, no, every week, every Sunday, we have a group meeting. Um, sometimes I also do it on Wednesdays. So it depends. I have a schedule on my website where people can check what the upcoming dates are. And um, so I'm listed uh, under the videos on my YouTube channel. And then people can come and join and, um, yeah, interact if they feel a yes to me. Like, yeah, they don't have to, but the, the opportunity is there. Thank you so much. I'll actually see you for a one-on-one next week. So I look forward to that exploration. I'm curious what's going to be alive for you. Me too. Well, thank you so much for taking this time, especially on your daughter's birthday. I hope you have some more opportunity to play with her and dance and enjoy the rest of your day with her. Thank you so much. Yeah, she's probably already sleeping. It's late here. So, uh, (laughs) but yeah, we danced. (laughs) And we had quite some time and quite a fun time at the trampoline park. And uh, she she was creative in her creative flow. And... um, It was a beautiful day. Thank you so much. And I enjoyed talking to you on this day too. Right now, right here. (laughs) Thank you. If you enjoyed today's show and want to help build a more beautiful, conscious and loving world, please share this content with friends, family and colleagues. You can follow this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whatever platform you use. And I'd really appreciate you taking the time to write a review so that others can find these amazing conversations. And if you'd like to see a video version of the show, you can find me on YouTube. Feel free to reach out and connect with me at thepsychedelicmom.com or message me on Instagram at thepsychedelicmom. And remember, you are the medicine. <laughs>